Coming up on the Children's Hour, New Mexico's state bird, the Roadrunner, is well known as a cartoon character. But it turns out they had never really been studied by biologists until an undergraduate at the University of New Mexico took them on as her senior thesis project. We'll talk with that student, Tina Guo, and we'll visit with her mentor, Museum of Southwestern Biology director, Dr. Christopher Witt, about the lives, habits, and peculiarities of roadrunners. The Children's Hour is a production of the Children's Hour Incorporated. We're a New Mexico nonprofit dedicated to producing high-quality kids' public radio. You can find our playlists and so much more at childrenshour.org. It's time for the Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. You found the Children's Hour podcast. Can you support our work? Find us at patreon.com slash the children's hour or visit our website at childrenshour.org. There you'll also find a playlist for this show and extra links. Enjoy the show. Why did the jogger use a highway as a track? I don't don't know know why. Because he was a road runner. <laughs> it's time for the children's hour. Kids Public Radio. Oh, I like to wake when the sun she rises, lifting up the fog at the break of dawn. I like to hear those songbirds singing, whistling the tune of a morning song. Hurrah for the life of an early bird who's delivering us the new day's word. I like to wake with the rooster crowing, trading back and forth with the morning dove. And I like to hear that chickadee's chatter, starting off the day with the sounds of love. Hurrah for the life of an early Delivering us the new day's word I like to wake with the robin chirping Looking for a worm in the dewy hay And I like to hear those geese fly over Waking up the world to a brand new day Hurrah for the life of an early bird Who's delivering us the new day's word Delivering us the new day's word. Hey, we're off 
for the life of an early bird who's delivering us the new day's word. From a 2020 Grammy-nominated release by the Okie Dokie Brothers, Songs for Singing, that's Early Bird. And today on the Children's Hour, we are revisiting a show that we've aired before, recorded back in the days when we could be in studio together. It's one of our very favorite shows because it's about a very special animal that we love a lot in New Mexico, the Roadrunner. Join me today as we revisit one of our favorite shows. I'm just delighted to be here. We've got a bunch of kids in the studio. Hello. Hello. Hey. How are you? Oh, so great to have you all here. I'm Katie Stone. This is the Children's Hour. And how's everybody doing today? Good. I'm Gray. Yodla hee hoo. I'm Imogene. Hi, it's Elliot. And hello, it's Zen. And Amadeus is over there too. Hello. And Today we're doing a show about roadrunners, and we have with us Dr. Christopher Witt from the Museum of Southwestern Biology at the University of New Mexico, and one of his students, an undergrad named Tina Guo. They're going to tell us everything we didn't know about roadrunners. You're listening to the Children's Hour. Bluebird, bluebird, through my window. Bluebird, bluebird, through my window. Bluebird, bluebird, through my window Oh, birdie, how I love you Follow that bird and hop through the garden Follow that bird and hop through the garden Follow that bird and hop through the garden Oh, birdie, how I love you Red bird, red bird, through my window. Red bird, red bird, through my window. Red bird, red bird, through my window. Oh, birdie, how I love you. From a CD by Lindsay Monroe called I Am Kind. That's Bluebird, Bluebird right here on the Children's Hour. Tina Guo is a UNM undergraduate student in biology with a minor in environmental studies. And she's here today to talk about roadrunners. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yes. Every time I hear the word roadrunners, it just brings joy to my heart. <laughs> I think because I've gotten so attached to them. And we're surrounded by roadrunners like 
in the state and in the city. You know, the Rail Runner. We have Road Runner Waste Services, Road Runner Food Bank. It's everywhere. But the one thing that the, my spark was that it's everywhere, but we know nothing about them. There have been no local studies on road runners. Like nothing in New Mexico, no one has studied road runners. There have been studies in California, Texas, Kansas, but not here. So I wanted to be the first. <laughs> That's true. You know, there are state bird. Yeah. As well. There are state bird and no one seems to want to know more about them. Okay. We want to know more about them on the children's <laughs> hour. I promise you. And so first of all, for those who are listening who maybe need a roadrunner description, what does a roadrunner look like? I think they look like little dinosaurs. They're sort of the size of a a, a small chicken almost, yes. like a very skinny small chicken. Mm-hmm. And most of their body mass, when you look at them, their visual body mass is in the tail. They have these really long beautiful tails. If you look at a roadrunner really closely, they're iridescent. They have these white tips. They're beautiful tails. But yeah, they're small, really long tails. They got these long legs that just stretch out, you know, like the classic roadrunner in cartoons and stuff. They just stretch out and run. And that's how they run so fast. They have a crest that they will flip up just when they're alert or looking around. They're just these alert, kind of scrappy looking Fun, charismatic birds. They, they have a terrific expressions on their faces. Mm-hmm. They they seem to puff out their plumage to indicate different things. They make a wonderful sound. Oh, yeah. Oh, they have a myriad of sounds. They do a coo similar to a white-winged dove. So, coo, coo. Yeah. <laughs> they almost sound like morning doves. Yes, either white wing or morning doves, just very dove-like coos, and both male and females do both sounds. Um, during the breeding season, you're told the male, males do it a lot more, and males will do that cooing sound with a piece of food in their mouth, and that's a, a gift to the female. So he'll coo with a piece of food, and when the female comes, that's her food, that's his offering to her. Do they mate for life? Yes, they do. Usually people recognize the pairs that live in their neighborhoods because they'll pair for life, mate for life, and then they control a territory, which is a small neighborhood, together for the rest of their lives. What is their home like? Similar to what you imagine regular bird nests look like. So just like the round sticks, a stick structure. Um, They nest in either short trees, you know, about low to mid height in trees or in deeper brush or bushes. They hover around their nests just like any good parents would, and they take care of their babies very well. Any food you might give them, they just run right back to their babies to feed them. So I think they're good parents. What else do they eat? Um, so they love native prey, classic southwestern prey. So rattlesnakes, lizards, baby birds, crickets, butterflies. And then here in the cities, what's interesting is that they, I like to think that they're becoming the next pigeons. They kind of follow humans and eat our scraps and whatever we're willing to feed them. They're tameable, aren't they? They're very tameable. They're lovely little birds. They'll come up if they know you're feeding them. They'll come up right to your porch. They'll make a sound to let you know they're there. They'll look through your windows waiting for their food. (laughs) That sound you talk about, it's like a clacking sound. Before I started focusing on roadrunners, I feel like I've heard the sound, but I didn't realize it was from the bird that was just so common everywhere. They make their nests in low branches. Is that because they can't fly? We see them fly a tiny bit, but they don't soar. No, they do pretty much short bursts, um, really quick short bursts to get away from predators or just to 
they chase after really fast prey. Um, they will actually prey on smaller songbirds, so they'll jump out of the air to catch hummingbirds under feeders and stuff like that. So they're actually quite ravenous. They're very fast, the short bursts of flights. They actually are really good climbers. If you watch one for long enough, you'll see they'll climb as high into a tree as they can. They'll jump up on rooftops. A lot of their their jumping power, I guess their flight is in their legs. So they don't really use their wings in normal flight, but it's a lot of gliding. How many babies do they have? They have smaller brood sizes, about two to four. On the larger side, maybe about five. But again, they don't always survive. How big is a roadrunner's neighborhood or territory? Two blocks, maybe three. They really don't stray that far, especially around UNM. A lot of people have noticed a lot of roadrunners. When I'm walking around, there seems to be a pair every two blocks. There's a lot. There's a lot of them. They're pretty dense. Do you plan on your study in your studies to continue to study roadrunners? Yes, I hope so. Just because there's nothing about them. There's so much to learn. They're really cool birds. So diving right in my studies, we do this. We do a study called facultative hypothermia in roadrunners. Facultative hypothermia. So facultative hypothermia, I, I like to describe it as a low-key hibernation. So we're all familiar with the concept of hibernation, but for facultative hypothermia, they do it every single night. So it's almost as if they they hibernate every night and then they come back up from hibernation. So the base of hibernation and um, other strategies like that, they drop their internal body temperature and that saves energy during the night. And that's kind of what bears do during hibernation where they just slow down their entire bodies, their body temperatures, and that's how they save energy. And so roadrunners do this, but they do this every single night. Do we know why? Trying to figure it out. Just same thing, like starting to survive cold weather, stressful events, um, just an energy-saving tactic. So they can drop their internal body temperature about 9 degrees Fahrenheit. And to compare, humans can only fluctuate like 1 or 2 degrees before it's a medical emergency. So it is low when you think about animals that are warm-blooded. So with the faculty of hypothermia, when they rewarm in the mornings from dropping their body temperature, they'll puff up their feathers and on their their skin is black. So that works as a solar panel. So if you've ever seen your roadrunner puffing up on a fence or on a wall, they're facing the sun so they can soak up the warmth and warm up from their low-key hibernation at night. No one's ever studied roadrunners of New Mexico before. (laughs) So we don't even know the density of their population. We have no idea. We have no idea how many they are, how they're doing. We don't know if they're diseases. In my study um, in Faculty of Hypothermia and Roadrunners, just finding out how predictable they can be, I suppose. Um, Like we mentioned before, they're very tameable and they just have these schedules that they follow Um, So in the mornings, they might come by and get some food from people who are willing to feed them. Then mid-morning, they kind of wander around their territory and they will come back like clockwork for food. So once in the morning, once in the afternoon, maybe once before they go to bed. But they just have these schedules that they follow. And I think that's adorable. (laughs) I feel like we can assume birds or animals in general have a schedule, but to see them follow it like clockwork, like you'll see them running down the road, they'll run down this road at this time after getting 
food from this house and they'll go to a different house and then right after that they'll run down this this road and <laughs> when you say they have this range are they the only roadrunner couple in that range yes they will fight off anybody else who comes near they allow their babies to stay within the territory until they're adults and then then that's when they gotta leave their territory and find one of their own and find a mate of their own how long they live is probably dependent on what sort of risks they're facing. They cross a lot of roads, and I would imagine that if a busy road comes into a roadrunner's neighborhood, that roadrunner could get run over. The risks are definitely in the urban environments. They're really good at running away from their natural predators like coyotes, (laughs) and they're really good at warding off snakes. The new stuff are the cars and the roads, but I think they're smart enough to realize their population's are growing. And I think it's because of the help from us, you know, eating our scraps, using our shelters, and things like that. They're surviving really well in our urban environments, something that a lot of birds haven't been doing. Because when you hear about, you know, climate change, and urbanization, animals are declining, but roadrunner populations are increasing. You mentioned that there were roadrunner studies in California and Arizona and Texas. You mean... New Mexico isn't the only state that has roadrunners? No, I was surprised to hear that too. <laughs> so their their species range is pretty much mid-Mexico, uh, and that goes up into you know southwestern U.S., so about the upper part of California. They'll go into Louisiana a little bit and up towards Nebraska, but pretty concentrated in the southwest. Tina Guo. UNM undergrad student in biology with a minor in environmental studies. Thank you so much for being on the Children's Hour. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. If you're on a highway road, run a Tweet, 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 everybody singing along. 
To the bird in the happy tree song Tweet, tweet Tweet, tweet, tweet Tweet, tweet Tweet, tweet Tweet, tweet Tweet, tweet You're listening to the Children's Hour Kids Public Radio We'll be right back The Children's Hour is produced by the Children's Hour Incorporated a nonprofit dedicated to producing high-quality kids' public radio. Find out more at childrenshour.org. Support for the Children's Hour provided by Electric Playhouse, an immersive entertainment center and dining experience in Albuquerque, New Mexico. While the Playhouse is currently closed for the safety of customers, learn about dining, play, and educational opportunities, as well as future locations at electricplayhouse.com. Support is also provided by the City of Albuquerque Cultural Services Department and the Urban Enhancement Trust Fund. Famous Colors by Maggie Elmore. Roadrunner wasn't always as drab as he is today. Once, he had many different colored feathers. Hey, Rattlesnake, look at all these colorful feathers. See how pretty I am? Yes, you have a nice style, but I'm fearsome and skilled at catching my own food. By the way, I think Roadrunner is my favorite food. Go. Rattlesnake wanted revenge on Roadrunner for all the tricks he's played. But I won't eat you. If... You lend me your pretty, colorful feathers for the animal dance. Y- yes, of course. It's a deal. So Rattlesnake got the feathers and went to the animal dance, looking very silly in all those feathers. <laughs> <laughs> because he'd lost his colorful coat, Roadrunner had to wear an old, dusty one full of drab feathers. But Rattlesnake left the feathers at the dance, and Peacock found them. 
Hey, this is a nice coat. Score! Rattlesnake felt awful for having lost Roadrunner's beautiful coat. I'm sorry, Roadrunner. Now my beautiful feathers are gone forever and I'm stuck with these drab, dusty ones. Those are the feathers that Roadrunner still wears today and why he's always running, looking for where his colorful coat might have been left. It must be here someplace. Roadrunner. Small, soft, bird represents us, makes me feel huge, state bird. I'm a roadrunner, baby! That was Roadrunner by the Sugar Beats from a CD called Cartoons. Before that, you heard Brianna with her cinquaine on Roadrunners recorded, oh, way back in 2010 at Manzano Mesa Elementary School. And before that, how Roadrunner got his famous coat was part of a theater in the making project from way back in the day. 
The Whistling Caruso was Andrew Bird. And before the break, you heard the Bare Naked Ladies, Roadrunner, from Play Everywhere for Everyone. We recorded this show in 2019, when we could still go into a studio and be together in person. But we just loved it so much. We wanted to play it again for you. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and I'm really glad to have back in the studio Dr. Christopher Witt. He is the director of the Museum of Southwestern Biology here at the University of New Mexico. Welcome back to the Children's Hour. Thank you. It's great to be back. Great to have you. We have a lot of questions that were not necessarily 100% answered by your student, Tina Guo, who we spoke with earlier on the program. I guess we're just going to jump right in. So she mentioned that roadrunners uh, lower their body temperature as they're sleeping. And I know that uh, hummingbirds do that as well. What other birds do that? That's a great question. It's a really rare behavior across birds. Only hummingbirds, swifts, nightjars, and mouse birds do it out of all of the diversity of birds on Earth. So we think it must be a really difficult thing to do or a skill that evolves very rarely. So that makes roadrunners really cool because they can do this thing that not many other birds can do. And one of the things that makes Tina's research so exciting is that we only know about this behavior from a couple of studies in Southern California where the weather is balmy and mild and you don't really get much energy out of, out of going into torpor in Southern California. But here in New Mexico, and we know our winters are really cold, and so there should be a real incentive for them to drop their body temperature, and they should be able to save a lot of energy by doing that. So Tina's testing whether our roadrunners have adapted to this local environment in this colder place to be able to be better at torpor than those sort of soft roadrunners from Southern California. And the word torpor is really the word for that sort of low-key hibernation? Yes, that's the way Tina describes it. It's a great phrase. She came up with it. It's low-key hibernation. It's like you just go into a little bit of hibernation every night and you can save a lot of energy so you don't have to find as much food uh, every day. How long do roadrunners live? That's a great question. Uh, I don't really know a very firm answer to that. I can tell you a couple things for sure, though. Most roadrunners that are that uh, that hatch and that fledge from their nests are going to die within the first few weeks or at least the first year of life because life is really tough out there when you're a predator, you're competing for territories, and you need to catch food every day to eat. And most roadrunners just don't make it. Uh, and that same is true for hawks and falcons. The vast majority die in the first year. But if they make it, if they can figure out how to sustain themselves and carve out a territory, then they're likely to live for several years, uh, probably 10 years or a little bit more. Do roadrunners stay in the same nest every year? That's a really good question. As Tina mentioned, they tend to be stay on the same territory and with the same mate year after year if things are going well. And uh, when they have uh, a clutch of eggs, uh, the eggs hatch and the nestlings tend to be in the nest for about two to three weeks um, before they fledge. And at that point, they follow the parents around on the ground for several days uh, before they, um, they, they become independent. So after that, do they build a new nest? That's a great question. Um, I can only speak about the pair that's on our block. They have sometimes used the same nest and sometimes built a new nest in a neighboring yard. They always choose my neighbor's yards that, uh, over our yard, and that's something I'm working on trying to fix. What do baby roadrunners look like? 
Uh, have you ever seen one? From what I've heard in my research, that they are kind of naked, not super developed things that rely heavily on their parents for a bit. Yeah, exactly. They're what we call altricial, which means they're born being completely dependent on their parents. They're they're naked and they start to grow their their feathers after hatching from the egg. So they don't hatch like chickens or ducks able to run around and start foraging for themselves. They're completely dependent on their parents and they develop incredibly fast over two or three weeks going from naked and helpless to being uh, able to fledge and run and forage on their own. How many species of roadrunner are there if there are more than one? The roadrunners are part of the cuckoo family. There are about 130 species of cuckoos and they're distributed all over the world. Um, There are a couple of different groups of cuckoos that have evolved large size and terrestrial habits. Uh, And in the New World, we have the New World ground cuckoos, and there are six species in Central and South America. And they're the closest relatives of the genus Geococcyx, which is the genus that includes our roadrunner. That genus includes two species, the greater roadrunner, which is the northernmost species, and the lesser roadrunner, which is in southern Mexico. I also heard that uh, roadrunners are quite closely related to woodpeckers. Yeah, that's that's turned out not to be true. Uh, it's it's really difficult to know the um, the 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 tree of birds that is their phylogenetic history or what what all the major groups of birds are related to. But in the last uh, four to five years, we've started to figure out the really difficult parts of that of that tree of birds, including the relationships of the major orders, like woodpeckers and their relatives and cuckoos and their relatives. And it turns out that the cuckoos are not closely related to the woodpeckers, even though they both have two toes forward and two toes back, which is sort of a a, a, um, a, a similarity that is not informative about the evolutionary relationships in that case. That's Dr. Christopher Witt from the Museum of Southwestern Biology at the University of New Mexico. You're listening to an encore of the Children's Hour recorded in 2019 when we were in studio. Thank you.
From the Cross Pulse Percussion Ensemble, that was Cuckoo Bird. You're listening to the Children's Hour, and we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Christopher Witt. He's the director of the Museum of Southwestern Biology at the University of New Mexico, and we're talking about roadrunners. How fast do they run? I don't know. Do you have an idea? Do you have a, you have a guess? I heard uh, online that there was a recorded top speed of 26 miles per hour. That sounds about right to me because I've I have uh, followed them on dirt roads where they're running in front of the car, and I found that I can follow them and they can sustain about twenty miles an hour running. And if you speed up from that a little bit, then they start to glide and they'll glide off to the side of the road to get away. Why are there so few or no studies about roadrunners here in New Mexico? That's a great question. I think you have to ask the ornithologists who have come before in the state. And what you'll find is that ornithology is a pretty small community and it's centered around universities. And um, there are just more universities in California and Arizona. And the ornithologists in, at, at UNM and NMSU haven't chosen to engage in studies of roadrunners. So it's just kind of a chance thing. But I want to point out something else. The roadrunners here in Albuquerque, this urban roadrunner phenomenon, it's a pretty new phenomenon. If you think about the history of Albuquerque, this city really expanded and became a major urban center in the decades after World War II. And roadrunners have been expanding their range to the north and uh, and have really um, taken off in the city, I think, have increased in their population density in, in the most recent decades. And no one's been tracking it, right? So... Um, but what we see is that there's something parallel going on with the Cooper's Hawks and the Roadrunners. They both reach very high densities here in the city of Albuquerque. And I would venture to guess that they reach the highest population densities here in Albuquerque of anywhere else in, across their range. And I think that they, they each have a very distinct niche that they've carved out in the urban area as predators that are eating uh, species that are dependent on bird feeders. And we have an active tradition of bird feeding here in Albuquerque, and I think it's created kind of a bird seed driven ecosystem. And Cooper's hawks are at the top of that, taking the big prey, like the doves and pigeons, and the roadrunners are at the bottom of it, taking the sparrows and the mice. That's fascinating. So, in other words, what you're saying is by us feeding wild birds, we're actually helping more than just the birds we're feeding. We're actually helping the predators of those birds, the Cooper's hawks and the roadrunners. Yeah. And both species are reaching very high densities. And it's specifically because their prey is here at very high densities. If you look in the literature at those studies of roadrunners from Arizona and California, you see ornithologists are always describing them as occurring in low density and with large territories. 
And when you were talking to Tina, she told you that there's a territory every two or three blocks in the city. That is amazing. Those territories are not that big, and yet they're predators sustaining themselves on mostly small vertebrates and large insects uh, in a relatively small area. I think they can do that because there, there are large populations of house sparrows and house finches, and maybe to a lesser extent, house mice that are eating bird seed and uh, providing sufficient resources for these sort of top predators to consume. Dr. Christopher Witt from the University of New Mexico's Museum of Southwestern Biology is going to stick around and we're going to talk a little bit more after the break. The Children's Hour is supported in part by an award from New Mexico Arts, a division of the New Mexico Department of Cultural Affairs, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Support for the Children's Hour is provided by Token Ibis, a nonprofit making philanthropy accessible to everyone. To sign up, go to tokenibis.org. Repetitive bird screaming outside my window. It's 4:22 in the morning. Have you no sense of decency? I have so many questions about exactly what you think you're doing, but chief among them is why must you sing the same thing over and over again? Repetitive bird, your song is literally one note 18,000 times. I'm not a music critic, but your song is horrible. Has it ever occurred to you to change things up with a new note every now and then? No. Only sing the same thing over and over again. Repetitive bird, repetitive bird, repetitive bird. This is what you sound like, by the way. Pretty annoying, isn't it? You want me to stop? Repetitive bird, you have much to learn about the way a bird should wake a person up. Seriously, dude. Have you ever even seen a Disney movie? The birds in those films would all sing a nice song, comb my hair, and help make my bed. But you only sing the same thing over and over again. Repetitive bird, take a page from the great classical bird composers throughout history. Birdoven, Schubert, Tchaikovsky. Repetitive bird, I'd like to take you under my wing. I've noticed there's like 30 other birds across the street all together on a telephone wire. Maybe if you sang something slightly more interesting, you could be friends with them. I mean, what if you sang a song that expressed your personality and told those other birds something about you? Do you think you could ever do something like that? No, you only sing the same thing over and over again. No, you only sing the same thing over and over again. No, you only sing the same thing over and over again. No, you only sing the same thing over and over again. No, you only sing the same thing over and over again. No, you only sing the same thing over and over again. Sing the same thing over and over again. Repetitive bird is Billy Kelly. And over the break, you heard Whistlegate.
Today on the Children's Hour, we're talking with Dr. Christopher Witt from the University of New Mexico's Museum of Southwestern Biology about roadrunners. Oftentimes, at least where I live, I'll see a roadrunner with a lizard in its mouth, and then it will just run off. And so how does the lizard really fit into the structure of the roadrunner's feeding habits? That's a great question. Roadrunners are generalist predators. Like most predatory birds, they'll take anything that's in the right size range that they can catch. Roadrunners are really good at catching lizards, mice, baby birds, and even adult birds. Uh, and I don't, you know, I have no evidence that they have a preference among those. I think they take whatever's available. Uh, there are many parts of the city that that have very few lizards and very few snakes because the density of roadways makes it difficult for lizards and snakes to sustain populations. And my neighborhood is one like that. I live just just east of UNM. And I see a lizard once every few years. They're very rare in the neighborhood. But there's one time of year when I tend to see a lot of dead lizards. And that's when the roadrunners are feeding their young. Uh, so I never see live lizards in the neighborhood, but when they're feeding their young, the male roadrunner on my block, uh, once an hour, will go running up the road, carrying prey to the nest, and he'll be carrying uh, either a, a mouse or a lizard. Is there a noticeable difference between male and female? Uh, not much difference. Uh, the females are just a little bit smaller, and when... During the breeding season, the colorful skin patch behind the eye, which is uh, kind of bright blue and orangey red, um, that tends to get much brighter in the male than it does in the female. Your student, Tina, talked about roadrunners remind her of small dinosaurs. And now we're learning that dinosaurs really did have feathers. I now look at birds in a new way. And you're an ornithologist. Do you look at birds in a new way, too? Are you looking at birds and seeing like I'm seeing teeny-weeny T-Rexes? I definitely am, am doing that, but I don't think I'm doing it quite in the same way that you're doing it because I, I know that roadrunners are similar in form and in their behavior to some of the small predatory dinosaurs, including our New Mexico state dinosaur, the Coelophysis. But they converged on that form from different ancestral forms. So the roadrunner evolved from an arboreal, um, volant cuckoo that 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 could fly very well and then became terrestrial secondarily whereas the dinosaurs uh, went in the other direction right and the, their ancestors were terrestrial and they evolved that predatory um, cursorial two-legged running predator behavior um, from a terrestrial ancestor what are some of the differences between the greater roadrunner and the lesser roadrunner that's a really good question. Um, I, size is the first difference that I know of, and then I know that the lesser roadrunner has less marking on the on the on the chest and less streaking overall. But um, as far as I know, they're similar ecologically in terms of what they do, and um, I don't know much about the lesser roadrunner, but somebody should should probably study it. Maybe one of your students will end up studying it. Maybe so. Well, Tina has made herself into an incredible expert on roadrunners, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if she ends up being the one to do it. And for our listeners to know, I did ask Tina how old she is. She's 22 years old and has already done groundbreaking research on something we all thought everyone knew everything about already, our own roadrunners. Dr. Christopher Witt is the director of the Museum of Southwestern Biology. Your museum is not a museum that's open to the public to come peek at the exhibits. It's a very different kind of museum. That's right. We're a collection of 
natural history collections. We have eight different uh, uh, collections of organisms that we preserve for scientific research and education. Dr. Christopher Witt from the Museum of Southwestern Biology, thank you so much for being back on the Children's Hour with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure, although I noticed that the students uh, that you have here in the room know a ton about Roadrunner, so I'm not really sure you needed me. Roadrunner is Junior Walker and the All-Stars from a CD called Motown for Kids. We followed up with Tina Guo to find out what she's up to these days, and she finished her undergraduate degree last year and presented her final papers on Roadrunners. This year, she's taking a gap year before she heads to graduate school. She may return to studying Roadrunners again one day. Have you seen any roadrunners in your yard? We want to see pictures of them. Post your roadrunner photos to TCH Radio on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. And we'll share them with Tina Guo and the team at the Museum of Southwestern Biology at UNM. This is the Children's Hour. Coming up, the Deedle Deedle Dees. 
treacherous, well maybe sparrows. The coot is vain, so's the black cap tip mouse. Creeping warblers complain, but not like the screech owl. If they'd been alive to see themselves drawn, what would they have to say about John James Audubon? Other creatures would be flattered to see themselves in books, postcards, and calendars. But birds are fickle, fancy fellows. A canary will take you to court over a shade of yellow. If they'd been allowed to critique his work, would his name still be synonymous with birds? Purple finch take offense, or the least peewee fly catcher be incensed. Can't you see Bonaparte's gull there winged to his breast? We've all seen vireos and bobolinks bothered by less. Never a man to hunt birds for sport. Audubon still ate some birds of America after he finished up their portraits.
Flyaway is Teresa Anderson from Hummingbird Go and Uncle Jumbo from a 2019 release Garden Groove with Birdhouse was before that and the Deedle Deedle Dees from Strange Dees Indeed. Many thanks to Tina Guo and Dr. Christopher Witt from the Museum of Southwestern Biology for sharing so much great information with us on Roadrunners. We have lots of curriculum we posted at childrenshour.org. The Children's Hour is written by Katie Stone, produced by The Children's Hour Incorporated. We record our shows at the Sunspot Solar Studio in Albuquerque, New Mexico, with help from all of us on the Kids Crew. Our podcast can be found wherever you get podcasts or at patreon.com slash thechildrenshour. We post photos and more on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Find us at TCH Radio. Find lots of information about us at childrenshour.org. Our theme music is written by C.K. Barlow. The Children's Hour is distributed by the Children's Hour Incorporated and the Public Radio Exchange, PRX, and the Pacifica Radio Network. Thanks for listening to The Children's Hour, Kids Public Radio. (laughs) 